Welcome to Industry Roundtable with Roger Reiswig. I'm Roger Reiswig, Fellow and Vice President of Industry Relations at Johnson Controls. In this series, I will host leaders in the industry to explore fire and life safety issues that matter to you. Hello, and for today's topic for Industry Roundtable, we will discuss smoke detectors and the changes to UL 268 and 217, along with some background on the subject. My guest today is Mr. Peter Ryan. Peter is a Senior Commercialization Manager for Johnson Controls. Welcome to the Industry Roundtable, Peter, and thank you for taking time to speak with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Roger. I'm excited to be here. Peter, could you provide our listeners with some of your background and also your duties today? And exactly what does a senior commercialization manager do at Johnson Controls? Well, I've been with Johnson Controls uh, and previous to that, Tyco and Simplex for t- over 20 years, actually 23 to be precise. And uh, as a senior commercialization manager, I'm part of our marketing group. And what we do is we help bring new products to market. We help publicize new products uh, and we help educate customers and our distribution channel partners um, about what those products do, uh, how to use them most effectively and what applications those products uh, should be used in most efficiently. We also do research. uh, We call it voice of the customer where we bring in information from the field, and we, we uh, work with our product management and R&D folks to, uh, to design new products. Well, that's great, Peter. It's um, pretty informative. You, you, you touch a great uh, deal within our company uh, from bringing product to market and, um, and supporting it after the effect. So you're a great person to talk with today about our subject of smoke detectors and smoke alarms. So I guess we'll just jump right into it. Many people have heard that there is a new seventh edition of UL 268. And I thought for today's topic, we could explore that a little bit and maybe some of the history about it and what the changes mean and maybe how they came about. So to get started, uh, could you help our listeners get an understanding of what UL 268 even is and what does it cover? Of course. So UL 268 is the standard to which smoke sensors are listed to. The idea is that UL is setting up in 268 the tests and the performance standards for this equipment that all manufacturers have to meet within the marketplace. UL 268 6th edition, which was the previous edition, was put together many years ago and had a lot of different uh, smoke tests inside of it. they, when you bring a sensor into UL, you put this, the smoke sensor in the test chamber. They test it with a variety of size of fires, um, materials, and so forth to make sure that it goes into alarm when appropriate, that it goes into alarm uh, within a certain time frame, uh, and that it has the desired false alarm immunity. So basically, all of these tests in UL268 are designed to make sure that all the sensors on the market perform to at least the minimum baseline uh, of safety and performance. Okay. And then these are the standards then that all manufacturers have to meet. And then those, of course, are then what's referenced in our NFPA documents. Um, The main one being NFPA 72 uh, for devices that need to be used for fire alarm use. So Exactly right. Everybody has to meet at minimum 268. Okay. So as we look at some of the changes that had to occur or did occur in UL 268, I guess some of the people... You know, sometimes we think that maybe underwriters laboratory just makes changes to make changes, but that's not really true. There's a lot of research that goes into play and um, other technologies that have come about. So 
based on your experience, then, what do you think has caused some of the recent changes to become part of this new edition? The new UL268 7th edition standard, which is going to be going into effect in the coming months, is really developed and implemented out of a need to adapt to the new materials that are being used in facilities. It also was developed to provide better immunity to nuisance alarms that are caused by cooking fires and other um, things that happen in the kitchen that are a primary cause of nuisance alarms and a primary driver in people becoming desensitized to fire alarm systems. So it's interesting you're talking about the nuisance alarms or unwanted alarms and cooking odors, uh, some of the things that have caused these um, devices to, uh, to activate when really we don't want them to activate. And there were some proposals that were submitted to NFPA 72. And just for our listeners, you, you, anybody can submit a proposal to NFPA um, in, in order to try to change something or make something better in the code. So back in 2010, a lot of this, I, I think, is when this culminated as we look at the history part of it. Uh, in particular, it came to cooking odors and avoidance of, of these nuisance alarms. Could you speak to those proposals maybe and what was submitted? Certainly. So, as I said before, really one of the biggest challenges with with fire alarm systems, both within your residential system where you have smoke detectors in your house and then your system type detectors that you would put or sensors that you would have in a hotel or a large commercial facility is cooking, um, you know, burnt toast, smoke from uh, steam from showers, uh, smoking, you know, things like that, that are going to produce particulate that are going to generate an alarm, but they're really, uh, it's not a, not an actual fire. I won't want to say it's not a real alarm because the particulate is actually causing the sensor to go into alarm. So the sensor is doing what it's supposed to do, but it's generating an alarm that isn't an actual fire that you want the residents or occupants to respond to. So again, what that does is the fire, the alarm goes off, it produces noise. People look at it and say, oh, you know, what is that? They don't take it seriously. And then when it is in a real emergency, um, people get into real trouble and, and get, you know, can get injured or, or die. So what UL did was they looked at the two pieces of the sensor. They look at uh, the, the way that cooking uh, produces particulate, and they came up with a standard for that. And what they call it actually is kind of it's the burnt hamburger test. So they take frozen hamburgers for real. Uh, they take frozen hamburgers. They stick them into the, uh, into the broiler. They crank them up, and they let them burn. And they let all that smoke and everything come out of the broiler and uh, want to make sure that your sensor is immune to that and doesn't go off from that kind of particulate. Because, again, it's not a quote-unquote real fire. Um, the question is, okay, so why a hamburger? What's special about a hamburger? Uh, and it really comes down to the way uh, that that burning of that particular material produces a broad range of particulate in a, in a different range of sizes um, that really challenges the sensor to be able to make out whether it's an actual fire or whether to make out that it's particulate from a, a nuisance alarm. And uh, that was settled on as the standard and the best test to pace these, uh, the new sensors. Yeah, I like how you made the distinction, too, with the previous or current edition of UL-268, um, that the devices are actually performing. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Um, it's just that our environment has changed and how we're using these has changed, and we're looking to make these devices better. 
And then you also talked about the hamburger test. And it's interesting because when I remember when this was first coming out, a lot of people were saying, oh, that has the new hamburger test. And it was kind of a, a wink and a nod, you know, even right. kind of a half joking thing. But there really is a, a hamburger test component uh, that's part of this, right? Exactly. And and I, I hear what you're saying because you sort of look at it and say, oh, they're, you know, burning hamburgers, which I, I do in my kitchen on occasion. Um, but really, that is uh, it turned out to be an excellent test. Uh, Really, the whole idea behind the seventh edition is getting uh, increasing safe egress time, which is basically a, a fancy way of saying giving you more time to get out of the building. And that also brings into uh, into the materials that I mentioned earlier. So what you find in modern structures, whether it's the carpeting, whether it's couch coverings or chair coverings, drapes, um, you know, just about everything in a new in a, in a modern building or modern home is petrochemical, it's foam. Uh, so we have a lot of foam, polyurethane foam, nylons, poly, uh, polyesters, you know, all those sorts of things. And they are extremely dangerous uh, compared to older materials like wood and cotton uh, and canvas and, you know, whatever else that they used to use in, in earlier days. Uh, they burn a lot faster. They catch fire um, and they generate a lot more heat uh, and they're a lot more dangerous. And they, what they essentially do is they really, really decrease the amount of safe egress time you have from the building. So uh, when they flame, they flame really, really high and hot. And when they smolder, they produce a lot of smoke and a lot of dense gases that are extremely dangerous to you. And they also have a very high flashover risk. So the idea on the seventh edition was to pass the hamburger test, but it was also to look at new things like these petrochemicals and to find a better sensor performance on these that will give you faster warning and better egress time. And to that end, uh, this new this new standard, believe it or not, has over 215 new uh, changes. So from the sixth edition to the seventh edition, uh, you've you've had 215 revisions or additions designed to make the sensors better. Wow, that is a lot of a lot of changes that had had did occur in that. So if I can just back up for a second, we often hear the the driving document philosophy. Does UL make the changes and then drive the NFPA standards, in this case, NFPA 72? Or does 72 make those changes and does it go back into UL? And kind of in this case, we saw several of the changes that happened in 72 uh, that were proposed and then ultimately accepted. Those were kind of the triggering things that made the changes for the UL standards, namely the cooking odor uh, immunity or not creating a nuisance alarm from coming cooking odors. Um, so just kind of, it's, it's interesting to see the dichotomy uh, of how one drives the other. Now, before we go much further, there's another UL standard that's out there for smoke alarms. And I guess we also needed to make a, maybe make a uh, delineation between a smoke detector, UL-268, and a smoke alarm, UL-217. Uh, although the standards of how the devices are to be tested are identical, there's different nuances for a 217 versus a 268 device. Could you explain what the document covers in 217 and, and how that pertains to the fire alarm industry? So the difference is, is UL 268 is really designed to handle what I'll call system sensors. Uh, these are the sensors that you'd find in a building that are hooked back to a fire alarm panel. You know, they probably get panel from uh, from a control unit. They get panel from they get power rather from a power supply, uh, and they're they're 
sensors that you would find in a larger building like an airport or a, or a shopping mall. UL 217, the governing document that spells out the requirements for smoke detectors. And the distinction is that a smoke detector is a self-contained unit that has power, uh, probably from a battery, maybe from your AC in your house, um, is it has a sounder. It's basically a self-contained unit that has power, sensor, and sounder all in it. So again, in, in Kennedy Airport in New York City, you'd have a smoke sensor, and in your house, you have smoke detectors. And 217 is requiring the same sort of performance out of smoke detectors in your house as is being required from uh, UL 268. Um, it's an extremely challenging set of requirements to me, as we know, because we've, as a manufacturer, we've we've worked on this for quite a number of uh, months to get our sensors into compliance. And uh, to my knowledge, actually, Roger, I don't think there's anyone on the market that makes a, a seventh edition compliant uh, UL217 detector. And I think the the implementation date just got pushed out another year, didn't it? Yes, for UL217, uh, it would actually be the eighth edition has getting, it's got pushed out to um, June of 2022 at the time of this recording. So there is nobody on the marketplace that I know of that that is listed. I believe you're correct. Right. And and that's a great a great jumping off point there because that's another question that we get a lot as we work with our sales teams and our partners and customers around the world is what does the seventh edition mean in terms of adoption? Um, a lot of people, you know, they have large buildings. Again, they have airports and college campuses and so forth. And they say, wow, uh, does this mean I have to pull all my old sensors out? Does this obsolete my sixth edition sensors? Uh, what? How does this actually work? Um, so that's that's something that we've really grappled with over the last you know few years as we've been doing the development. So essentially, what UL is telling you as a manufacturer, or telling us, I should say, as a manufacturer, is that after uh, a certain date, which at this point is June 30th, 2021, um, we can't manufacture sixth edition. Uh, compatible sensors. All the sensors coming out of our manufacturing facilities have to be seventh edition compliant. So if I have them in my warehouse, I can still use sixth edition. If I have them, uh, if I'm a hospital uh, maintenance person and I have a bunch of sixth edition sensors, I can still use them. If I have sixth edition sensors hanging off my walls, um, I can still use those as well. But uh, I cannot make sixth edition sensors anymore after this summer. Yeah, you talked about the dates there for a little bit, and there's a lot of confusion out there. And at the time of of this, because this is a time sensitive thing, so we'll we'll um, we need to talk about this because the the date originally for uh, devices for UL two sixty eight to be listed was May twenty twenty, which has uh, passed as we're now in December of two thousand twenty. And the date was pushed out till June 30th of 2021. Now, to kind of make a little bit more confusion, uh, UL has just released an extension for UL 217 to June 30th of 2022, but that does not affect UL 268, right? We're still locked into that June 30, 2021 date for 268. Exactly. And that's the date that we've been working to as a manufacturer, as Johnson Controls, as, a, as an equipment manufacturer. And so everybody across the industry has been gearing up and implementing uh, new designs, manufacturing processes, software, etc., to bring their sensors into compliance to meet that 
that date of 2021. And of course, we all do it a little bit differently because our systems are all, you know, engineered and manufactured a little bit different. But again, speaking for Johnson Controls, one of the key things I sort of hinted out before is you want to make sure that the sensors are compatible because what I don't want to do is have a large customer with hundreds or perhaps even thousands of sensors installed in their facility and then have them start getting seventh edition sensors and have to basically pull all their old sensors out. So we made a lot of effort went into making sure that sixth edition and seventh edition sensors can coexist on our systems um, to ease that transition. You know, a customer is going to get enhanced protection from using seventh edition sensors. And because of the way the new tests are formulated, I think they're going to get better safety and they're going to get more better egress time. But also from a budgetary perspective, it's not practical to rip thousands of sensors out and replace them. And uh, that's where the practical phased approach meets in where these these sensors can coexist. Yeah, and just to keep going with the uh, discussion about replacing existing devices. So there's nothing in UL or NFPA that requires a building owner to to replace the device that they have. If it's working fine and testing fine uh, every year, that device can remain in service. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be replaced. Exactly. There's no no mandate to replace them. No no time you know egg timer if you will to make people pull them out. Um, just recognize that you know, the sixth edition is going to be less sensitive to the nuisance alarms like we talked about earlier. And it's also going to be less sensitive to uh, to, to dealing with those petrochemical type materials that are going to flash over faster and that are going to produce more heat and toxic gases. So, um, you know, I, in my way of thinking, all the new systems going in should be seventh edition even now. Um, and that customers should really seriously consider retrofitting to 7th edition as they go through and renovate their facilities and upgrade their systems. That's a great point. Well, Peter, we're really uh, coming to the end of our time for today, but this has been a very interesting topic, and I think you helped clear up some of the things for our listeners. Uh, there's been a lot of questions out uh, with the dates and replacements of devices, et cetera. So thank you so much for taking your time today to be part of this Industry Roundtable podcast series, and please tune in to our next uh, edition and stay tuned for more um, from Industry Roundtable. This is Roger Reiswig, and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Industry Roundtable. Be on the lookout for more podcasts in the coming weeks covering a range of fire and life safety related topics.